Just for a minute. This is going to do Just for the intro. Yeah, you can do it. Journey Class family. <laughs> Hope you're doing well. So I had a little uh, technical difficulty. I know it's six after. Uh, we're here at the World Headquarters of Heartland Baptist Fellowship. I got the Vallejos with us uh, and, and my assistant, and my assistant Sherry here. They're going to help take care of all the technical details behind the scenes uh, to help make me look good. So with that, let's... Uh, Get started here. Hope everybody's doing well. We're over a month into the quarantine. I've heard on the news that that we're now we're suffering from quarantine fatigue, which I know I am. Um, actually, I'm not suffering. I'm eating too much. I'm growing more and more every week. But um, so hopefully everybody's doing well out there. Uh, then spending your time wisely. I know I've been doing a lot of reading. Sherry and I have been doing a lot of. Uh, a lot more Bible studies and devotions together, so we've had some pretty pretty sweet fellowship over this last month. Looks like there's light at the end of the tunnel, as I'm sure you've heard. Georgia's opened up. Uh, Missouri opens up next, I think it's next Monday, the Missouri opens up. So, uh, with that, let me get to some announcements we have today. Uh, first off, we wanted to... Um, give you guys some contact numbers in case you need to contact uh, Pastor Steve or, or Pat Lee or myself um, if, if you need any uh, food or assistance or someone to talk to or some encouragement uh, just you know get a hold of one of us uh, I've been trying to contact people through the week and I know Steve does as well um, which kind of uh, brings in the, the first announcement you've probably heard about the community comfort community comfort care ministry I think Pat Lee is heading that up but um, on Saturdays from 1 to 3 Sundays from 1 to 3 and then Wednesdays from 6 to 8 p.m. Uh, there's a, a group of folks here at, at HBF that uh, will meet you in the uh, looks like the breezeway out here and and uh, help hook you up with food or some resources or information or anything else you might need. So if you feel you need any of that, be sure and take advantage of that. Uh, some other announcements for today. Let me move my chairs out of the way. Sorry, sorry. Ah, I gotta set up a little bit. Um, Brian. Hedges will be on at 10:30. Uh, he is uh, see on the mornings we're still in Acts, I believe. Yes, uh, he started Ephesians last, actually two Wednesdays ago, and that's been really good. Brian actually covered Ephesians one. He got into chapter one last Wednesday, uh, so tune in for the rest of that this Wednesday. Tonight, Brian, Pastor Brian, is starting Second Corinthians because he finished First Corinthians a, a week ago, so. Tonight he starts 2 Corinthians, and you may remember when we went through the Bible a year or so ago, the book of 2 Corinthians is the book of comfort. Uh, so that's a, it's a good book for comfort. 
Hi, some more announcements. We have a lot of announcements on the HBF site side. Uh, Sunday, May 3rd, which would be next Sunday, we're having the HBF Next Steps class. And that's the class that if if you are thinking about joining HBF or you want to know more about HBF, how we got started, Pastor Brian, how he got started and everything got going, it's a really interesting class. It gives you the history of HBF and what we're all about, what we believe, and things like that. So that's going to be next Sunday. It's at 1 o'clock p.m. That'll be an online Facebook Live, I'm assuming, meeting. Pastor Steve, actually, is the one that's that's teaching that. So if you want in more information about that, contact Pastor Steve Fleshman or call the HBF Church office. Um, and I'll put that contact info up in a second. Brian wanted us to uh, wanted me to remind everybody that the previous, all, really, all of the right now, all the ABFs, all the Adult Bible Fellowships, and all of Brian's services have been streamed on Facebook Live and YouTube. Some of them, and all those links to all those classes are on the HBF website. Actually, let me just put that up real quick. I'll get my assistant Sherry to flip over to the next slide. There's the uh, contact information for, for Heartland, our Facebook page, uh, the YouTube channel, and then the hbfcast.org website. So if you go to hbfcast.org, you'll see a, a little reflections tab that you can click on, and you can see all of the uh, ABFs listed there. Now, some more good news. Since there's light at the end of the tunnel, it looks like uh, the Missouri stay-at-home is going to be lifted next week. We're planning on having services in the church here, physically here, on Sunday, May 10th. Um, we're not exactly sure that's going to look yet. We'll probably be setting every other seat or things like that. And I've heard rumor we may have two services uh, just to accommodate the social distancing requirement. But we'll have more on that. Uh, through the week and, and next week. So mark your calendars. Sunday, May 10th, uh, we can be here or be square at, at the World Headquarters of HBF. And also on Sunday, May 10th, we're having baptisms. So if you know anybody or if you need to uh, follow the Lord in believer's baptism, call the church office and sign up for that. Sunday, May 10th is also Mother's Day. Uh, then Memorial Day is coming up on Monday the May 25th and something else that's exciting is on Sunday June 7th we're having our church on the park and that is going to be a heck of a celebration because uh, you know it's just hard to imagine all of us being together out in the on the park so hopefully it's a beautiful day we can start praying for that in advance I'm sure it's going to end up being a party because we all have quarantine fatigue alright some more info uh, appreciate everybody tuned in Sherry, yeah, we have some people yeah, online. Oh, yeah, we have Dottie, uh, Kevin, uh, Brian, Pam, a okay, lot of Okay, good. People. All right. My assistant tells me we have quite a few folks uh, listening, so that's good. Uh, and remember, too, there's a delay on Facebook, so if you type something in the comment, it'll take my uh, assistant producer a while to, to, to get it to me. Uh, all right. So I think that's it for the logistics. I know we have a – we've been keeping a pretty – a pretty full prayer list, prayer request over the last few weeks. Uh, 
I'm gonna take a jot here. All right. Uh, okay, I'm looking at the prayer prayer requests here. It's there is a lot to pray for. So uh, let's go to the Lord in prayer real quick. If you have any more requests, just uh, type them in the comments, and my assistant producer will get them to me, and <laughs> and we'll cover those at the end. So all right, let's go to the Lord in prayer. Lord, I do thank you as always for this beautiful day, and then all you're doing for us, Lord, and uh, just really I thank you for the the kind of spiritual awakening that's going on throughout the country and throughout the world, that people are turning to you for comfort in this time of need. And uh, I want to lift up real quick uh, the parents. I know they have their niece, Jamie, that we've been praying for with the liver liver issues and continue to pray for the physicians and the treatment on her. Uh, Tom Merritt and his family, we lift them up along with Kevin and his family that a lot of uh, unspoken needs and requests there, Lord, and we just pray your hand of protection on, on these families, and really all the families in our class, that the Boras, the Vallejos, and, and Pam, and, and all the, you know, I don't want to leave anyone out, but just we love all the people in our class, Lord, and we lift all of them up. Uh, Rich Hayes and his sister Natalie, we just continue to pray for her daily, Lord, that she's on the front lines of this COVID thing, and uh, just pray for her safety and protection, and, and for Rich, Lord, that he's such an inspiration to me personally, that he's... Uh, he just passed his nine-month clean, and we just thank, thank, the, uh, the, thank you so much, Lord, for Rich and his faithfulness. And for Pam, Lord, we've been praying for her and her daughter. Pam joins. I don't know if Pam's online, but you, you can send us an update, Pam, on how she's doing. But we've been praying for Pam's daughter, uh, so continue to pray for that. And, and Dottie, Dottie uh, is actually in some pain now, waiting for some surgery that they put on hold. And want to continue to lift our sister Dottie up, Lord, that you would uh, comfort and protect her in this time. And... And uh, pray that that surgery can come about uh, painlessly and as quickly as possible, Lord. And uh, for the Vallejos, Lord, uh, just I, I really just humbly lift them up, Lord. Uh, I have been praying for them and uh, that they've they've lost another baby. Um, uh, this is sad, Lord. Uh, we want to pray for your hand, uh, for guidance, for protection and leading in Ray and Stacy's life, Lord. That you would draw them close to you in these difficult times. I uh, can't imagine how rough that would be uh, going through uh, these things, Lord. But just want to—I know you are the God of comfort, and you're the great physician, and you can help heal us physically and spiritually. And just want to really uh, present them to you, Lord, that you would put your hand on them and their lives and their family, Lord. And, and uh, just—I know you love them more than than we can imagine. And just want to thank you for them and their faithfulness, Lord. So with all these things, we, Lord, I thank you for the chance to meet. Thank you for the technology we have. And pray you bless this time together. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. Yes. All right. All right. So, as you know, we started a new series on discipleship a few weeks ago. And uh, we've had a few lessons on it. And you know that it's virtual candy bar bonus question time. So... I think I owe a few I, people candy I bars. I brought candy bars we could throw on. Oh, my, yeah, my sister brought candy bars. <laughs> you see, again, I would be one of the only ones eating them, and that's the last thing I need to be doing. Right, right. Uh, so, I know, I, I know last week we had several good answers. I remember Brian Parrott, he was, he was sharp as a tack last Sunday. Um, so I owe him some candy bars. So let's, uh, let's kind of get started here with some review. Steve first started out on, on the 29th, what is a disciple? So if you think you know that answer, type it in the comments. We'll read that here in a second. All right, this is kind of a new one. I want to throw this out there. How many lessons are in HBF's Discipleship One course? 
Oh, uh, yeah. My technical advisors here are... You should throw a candy bar. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> they know the answer. Because they have finished. They have went through them. All right. Also on the 29th, Pastor Steve introduced us to his his uh, COVID-19 verse. Hopefully, uh, and, and this was a good verse that Steve pointed out, that back in Deuteronomy, uh, this Balaam guy was trying to curse Israel. Uh, but the Lord thy God turned the curse into a blessing unto thee, because the Lord thy God loved thee. So Steve was just reminding us, and I want to remind you, God loves us. He is and will and is turning this uh, curse into a blessing. Uh, so hopefully everybody is, is using this time wisely and drawing close to the Lord, which is why I put this next slide up. What's the Lord showed you or taught you during this pandemic? Uh, you know, I mentioned me and Sherry, we've had a lot of good fellowship lately, just sitting around reading the Word, and we've we've had, you know, a good time in Philippians. We've had some cool verses in Second uh, Thessalonians. Uh, we talked about a lot of cool stuff. So if the Lord has showed or taught you something special during this time, throw it in the comments if you don't mind sharing. And uh, I'd, like, I'd be interested in seeing that. All right, then we talked about a little bit, what do you get when you squeeze a Christian? When you, you know, we're all being squeezed right now. So hopefully we all have the fruit of the Spirit in our life and we have all the love, joy, peace, and, and, and long-suffering and gentleness and goodness and faith and all, all nine fruits. So when you squeeze a Christian, you get fruit juice. So hopefully we're, we're, we're all being squeezed right now. We're not being bitter and, uh, you know, panicking and afraid that we are, we have the, the fruit of the Spirit in our life and we're, we're dripping fruit juice. So, all right, let's talk about the answers here. So, Assistant Sherry, uh, anyone type in anything? What's uh, a disciple? A disciple follows the Lord and teaches others, Dottie said. Oh, Dottie, sounds like you're on it. Candy bar for Dottie. Uh, Brian Parrott, follower of Jesus. Follower of Christ, and Brian, again. Follower of Jesus Christ, Kevin. Kevin. You have good students. All right, Kevin, everybody's getting it. Good deal. And Steve brought out this quote here on the bottom of the slide. Not all believers are disciples, but all disciples are believers. I just think that's so cool. There's a lot of people that profess Christ, but they're not following him. When you follow him, then you're a disciple. So that was a good one. All right, back to this. My assistant Sherry, did anyone correctly answer 16 lessons? Uh, yes, yes. Brian, Kevin, Brian, Amita, Amita. All said 16. All right. Oh, and the Vallejos, they were quick on it. Yeah. So, and I think most of those people that Sherry read were Brian, Kevin, uh, uh, Vallejos, Amita, they've all been through the 16 lessons. I think most of our class you has. candy bars. Yeah, I have a lot of candy bars. So if I don't eat the candy bars, I'll bring them. But no promises. <laughs> All right, so here's the list of the 16s because I, I wanted, I wanted to because um, we're going to talk about these today, these 16 lessons. We're not going to talk about all 16. We're going to talk about a few. If you have not been through HBF's Discipleship One lessons, you know I strongly encourage you to go through them, and this is the list of 16 that we're looking at here. It starts in the upper left with the salvation. That's lesson one. 
and then it goes to eternal life and the ordinances of baptism and the Lord's Supper and the Holy Spirit is next. And it goes through all 16 topics. Now, as, as we look at these topics, I mean, these are foundational topics that every believer should be, you know, familiar with. I mean, our faith in Christ is built on these 16 uh, lessons, these 16 uh, foundational truths of Christianity. So, that's what they are. That's the 16. I first went through them back in 1988. I think when I went through my first time. Yeah. Uh, and since then, I've taken me and Sherry have taken uh, a lot of people through these sixteen, and it's uh, they're just very good. That really helped me out with my Christian walk. I was saved for about. Actually, let me flip over here. I was saved. Uh, like I've mentioned this before when I was eighteen, and I kind of uh, struggled with learning the Word of God until uh, about three or four years after I was saved. I was taken through these discipleship lessons. That's when my walk really started. That's when I really learned about the Lord and, and uh, really learned about what I should believe. So, here's our 16. Next we have, uh, I just kind of threw this up. This is the table that Steve started going through a few weeks ago that the, uh, the, the stages of discipleship. There's seven stages that we teach here at, at Heartland Baptist that kind of start with stage one with repentance. Uh, you know, a person gets saved, an event, is the way Steve described it. An event happens in your life and you ask Jesus to, into your heart to be your Savior. And then you start a path that goes two through seven where you start learning about the Lord in step number two, which would be the discipleship lessons. That would be a key part of that. You're learning about God. Jim, her daughter went through them. Oh, you did? All the way, yeah. Oh, yeah, the uh, Zoe? Yeah, Zoe yeah. went through them, too. That's well, cool. Awesome. She's here in the studio with us. If I had a camera on a tripod, I'd swing over. No. Yeah, we could. <laughs> All right, so, you know, once a person learns about the Lord in step two, then they start participating in ministry in step three, and then four, they get into leadership and, and uh, ministry leader and, and the world vision, and we kind of talked about that last week. And Steve kind of took this this table here and showed how the history of Israel uh, is an example of this table. So it was really cool. Alright, so now we're going to get to today. Today's lesson. What I wanted to do... Let me flip over here. Let me flip back to me. Alright, the, the seven little known disciples in the Old Testament. Now here's what I wanted to do. It kind of combines my two favorite things. Uh, learning about God, of course, learning things, cool things about the Lord, and studying the Old Testament. You know, I've mentioned many times the Old Testament is kind of my favorite. I'm kind of partial to the Old Testament. I just love learning about all the, old, the, the guys in the Old Testament. So what I'm going to do is I'm going to kind of combine my two favorite things to familiarize everyone with the discipleship lessons, if you haven't been through them, and how those lessons are illustrated and lived out in the people of the Old Testament and in little-known people. See, I could have picked people like David and Solomon, uh, Joshua, Moses, but we all know about those guys. So I wanted to pick the little-known people that you maybe have never heard about in the Old Testament that are examples of the discipleship lessons and, and they live their lives the way we're supposed to live our life. So, that's what we're going to talk about today. So let me flip back over to my slide. 
All right, here's the list of seven. These are the seven little-known people that I chose. I actually started out with 12 because I thought it would be cool to have 12 Old Testament disciples kind of lining up with the 12 New Testament, but uh, it was getting to be unwieldy. There was just too much information. So I pared it down to seven because seven is the number of perfection. So Eliezer, number one, is what we're going to talk about. Next is Rahab. Number three, the widow of Zarephath. Number four, the Shunammite woman. Number five, Beniah, one of my favorites. The Nethanims, probably my favorite on this list. And the Ninevites, another good one. So, if you have any ideas about any of these, throw them in the comments. Uh, Brian said Phineas or something. Phineas? Phineas would be a good one. Yeah, there's a lot of good ones. Brian Parrott mentioned Yeah, Brian Parrott. Uh, another candy bar for Brian. Here's a few here, honorable mention. I, I actually had included in my original 12, the prophet school. A lot of people don't know there was actually a Bible college in the Old Testament. I didn't. Oh, yeah. Are you sure? They were, They were. yeah. <laughs> the prophet school. It's a very interesting study about these guys. They were cooking all over Israel, doing neat things. Hmm. Uh, and then Elisha, Ruth, Asaph. Remember, he was... Uh, he was a young guy. He was a, the song leader in, uh, back in Israel with King David. He's kind of the James Horton of, the, uh, of Israel. He led him in worship and then Queen of Sheba. So the first one we're going to talk about is Eliezer. Now these aren't in any particular order. Basically what I did one day last week is I started in the book of Genesis kind of turning through my Bible, picking these guys out in the order that I found them. So they don't, they're not in any real particular order. So the first one we're going to talk about is Eliezer. Eliezer and the things he did are examples to us of the principles taught in the D1 lesson on prayer, lesson number six. This guy is a real prayer warrior, and he, and he uh, exhibits these characteristics that we should as well. So to pick up his story... Um, let's go over to Genesis 24. So if you got your Bibles, turn to Genesis 24. I'm going to cut back over to me here for a second. Alright, so Genesis 24. Down around verse, we're going to pick it up in verse, uh, well, I'll start in verse 10. Now here's the story. Last week we talked about Abraham. And what a, what a good man of God he was. Abraham is covered from Genesis 11 up through Genesis like 25. There's a lot of good stuff about Abraham. A lot of principles about Abraham. Eliezer is a disciple of Abraham. He, um, he hooked up with Abraham. Abraham has taught him a lot of things. And one of the things Abraham taught him is, is the importance of prayer and letting prayer uh, guide your decision making. So what's happening in Genesis 24, which by the way is one of the best chapters on marriage and picking a mate, but we don't have time for that. In Genesis 24, Abraham wants to choose a wife for his son Isaac. So he calls his right-hand man Eliezer, which is the steward of all that Abraham has, and says, Eliezer, go to my home country and find a wife for Isaac. So this is a very important job that he's been given to do, Eliezer. 
So we're going to pick it up in verse 10, Genesis 24, 10, and uh, Eliezer's getting ready to set out for the task. And the servant took, the servant being Eliezer, the servant took ten camels of the camels of his master and departed. For all the goods of his master were in his hand. And he arose and he went to Mesopotamia under the city of Nahor, which is back up in Haran. You may remember last week uh, Abraham was up in Syria. He went up, up, up into Syria for a while. Abraham doesn't want a wife from the Canaanites where he's living. He wants a wife from his own people back up in Haran where his, his, his people are. So verse 11. And he made his camels to kneel down without the city by a well of water at the time of the evening when the time that the women, they go out and draw the water. Verse 12. And he said, Eliezer says, he starts praying. This is one of the first prayers in, our, in Genesis where a guy is actually praying. He said, O Lord God of my master Abraham, I pray thee, send me good speed this day and show kindness unto my master Abraham. Behold, I stand here by the well of water, and the daughters of the men of the city come out to draw water. And let it come to pass that the damsel to whom I shall say, Let down my pitcher, I pray thee, that I may drink. And she shall say, Drink, and I will give thy camels drink also. Let the same be she that thou hast appointed for thy servant Isaac. And thereby shall I know that thou hast showed kindness unto my master. So, here, here's what happens. Eliezer sets out on this important task. Let me move my Bible here. And uh, he's been praying. I'm sure he's been praying quite a bit on his journey. So he gets to this, uh, he gets to his destination, to the city of Nahor, and he stops and he prays. Because he knows prayer is critically important for this decision that he's needing to make. And he's very specific in his prayer. And I don't know, and hopefully you are too. When we pray to God, we don't just pray for the missionaries overseas. You pray by name. You, you call them out. See, uh, you, you, specific needs, specific requests. That, and, and then when the prayer is granted, that we may know that it was of the Lord. And see, that's what Eliezer did here. He was very specific. And it almost seems like he's telling God what God wants him to do. He said, hey... When a lady comes to the well and offers me a drink, then I'll know that's the lady. So he's being very specific. So whenever this exact thing happens, Eliezer is confident that the Lord has brought this about. So let me flip back to the slide here. So what, what Eliezer is teaching us is uh, the importance of prayer daily and hourly that's in our life that we should be praying without ceasing that 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 we should uh, be specific in our prayer that we should uh, and that way we can be confident when God answers prayer that it was him moving and uh, I'm sure we've done that I've, I've done this a few times when we're very specific praying for a very specific thing then we can be confident we know that God did it so it leads to a couple questions how do you involve God in your decision making? You know, do you pray for, like Eliezer prayed very specifically for, for this answer? 
do you pray very specifically for things in, in your life? Do I? I mean, I need to, to get better in this. And, and the lesson on prayer, the discipleship lesson on prayer really teaches us that a believer is only as strong as their prayer life is. And that's a pretty cool saying there. That whenever we need to make major decisions in our life, we really need to go to the Lord in prayer and then involve Him in those decisions. And then he also remembered to thank God once he did find the girl. Uh, you know, another thing I'll throw out, too, that's important with our prayer life is keeping a prayer journal. And I've mentioned this several times in class, how important it is to document when God answers your prayer. Uh, because we are, that's one of the infirmities. We have three infirmities of, in, as humans, and one of them is we forget things. Mm-hmm. And we forget when God answers our prayer. So then uh, I always try to write mine down so I keep it. And another uh, kind of key on this that goes along with prayer is seeking counsel. Whenever you have a big decision to make, it is really important to to pray about it, of course, but also to seek counsel of the godly men and women that the Lord has put into your life. And you know, I've been part of I've been working with people for a long time, and this is one of the things I see consistently with with uh, with believers is that they make decisions without proper counsel and prayer. And, and it always reminds me of this verse, Proverbs 15.22 here, that without counsel, purposes are disappointed. When we don't seek out counsel from the Lord or from others, our plans are, dis- are disappointed. But in the multitude of counselors, they are established. So when you have a big decision to make, pray about it, of course, but also seek out those... Uh, people that God has put in your life to get a multitude of advice uh, so that God could speak to them to help you in your decisions. So, that was Eliezer. Um, He teaches us the importance of prayer in our daily life. Um, I think there's much more on that. We'll move on to the next guy. I don't have a whole lot of time here. I don't want to chew it all up. Next one's Rahab. You may remember Rahab. She was uh, in the book of Joshua, chapter 2. Rahab is a good example to us on the D1 lesson on salvation. She is a person that, um, she was a harlot in the city of Jericho. Actually, let's just go to it. Let's, let's go to Genesis 2. I'm going to flip back over to me here for a second. All right. Uh, Genesis, oh, I'm sorry, Joshua 2. Yes, Stacy, thanks. Stacey corrected me. I got like three things on my mind at once. Joshua chapter 2. We're going to talk about Rahab for a second. Alright, so to set the story up. um, The children of Israel have left Egypt 40 years prior to this. They have marched through Israel. They have been uh, conquering people. Uh, You know, uh, now they've made it to the city of Jericho. And they're getting ready to take Jericho. And that's where we pick it up. Joshua and his armies are camped out in the mountains outside of Jericho. On the other side of Jordan. So, chapter uh, 2, verse 1. Joshua, chapter 2, verse 1. And Joshua, the son of Nun, sent out of Shittim two men to spy secretly, saying, Go view the land, even Jericho. And they went, and they came into a harlot's house named Rahab. And they lodged there. And it was told the king of Jericho, saying, 
Behold, there came in in the night children of Israel to search out the country. And the king of Jericho sent unto Rahab, saying, Bring forth the men that are come into thee, which are entered into thy house, for they shall they've come to search out the country. So the king the, the king knows they're there. The mayor of Jericho knows that they're in uh, Rahab's place. Go get them. All right, so verse 5. And it came to pass. Oh, no, I'm sorry, verse 4. And, and then the woman, Rahab, took the two guys and hid them and thus and said thus, There came men unto me, but I wist not where they were. I don't know where they're at. In verse 5. And it came to pass about the time of the shutting of the gate, when it was dark, that the men went out. Whether the men went, I wot not. Pursue after them quickly, for ye shall overtake them. So she's saying they left. Go, go quick. You'll find them. They're out in the. They're out there somewhere. Verse six. Uh, she had brought them up, but actually she had brought them up to the roof of the house, and she hid them with stalks of flax, which she had laid up on the roof. All right. So then let's skip down uh, verse nine. And she, Rahab, said unto the men. Here's what, and this is kind of Rahab's confession. This is kind of her salvation moment in verse 9. I know that the Lord hath given you the land, and that your terror is fallen upon us, and that all the inhabitants of the land faint because of you. For we have heard the Lord dried up the water of the Red Sea for you when you came out of Egypt, and what you did unto the two kings of the Amorites, that you were on the other side of Jordan, Sison and Og, these two kings, whom ye utterly destroyed. And verse 11, As soon as we heard these things, our hearts did melt. Neither did there remain any courage in any man because of you. For the Lord your God, he is God in heaven and in earth beneath. So then verse 12, Therefore I pray you, swear unto me by the Lord, since I have shown you kindness, that ye will show kindness unto my father's house and give me a true token. So basically what she's saying there is, um, you know, we've heard of you guys. You've been out conquering it, all, everybody. We're afraid of you guys, and we know that the true God is with you. And I have hid you here in my house. And now because I've showed kindness to you, I want you to show kindness to me. And then that's when she has her confession that she knows that God is the one true God. Let me get back over on a slide here. So Rahab, you know, like I said, she's an, uh, an example of the lesson number one on salvation. She is a sinner. She's a lost sinner with a past that has that knows that the judgment of God is coming. Um, she's living a sinful lifestyle among sinful people. But when she's presented with the truth that God's people are here, and she, and she hears the message that judgment's coming. She immediately believes and she submits to it. Um, she knows that God's the one true God and she recognizes his authority. And that's kind of when she becomes a believer and she, she requests a, a token from them, you know, an assurance of her salvation. And they, they do this promise together and she hangs the red scarlet thread out the window that is a sign of her. That's kind of another story I'm not going to get into. but. The, that's kind of when Rahab turned to God and, began, and joined up with Israel. From, from Rahab, it's, it's really interesting. She, she joined up with Israel when they did take Jericho, 
and she actually becomes part of the lineage of Christ. Rahab joined Israel, and she had a famous son by the name of Boaz. If you know anything about Boaz, throw it in the comments. I might throw out another candy bar. She had Boaz. Boaz had some guys, and then they had some guys, and then they had King David. So Rahab is like the great-grandma of the, of the mighty King David. And Rahab shows up in Matthew in the lineage of Christ, Matthew 1. So here we have this, this sinner, Rahab, that was saved, that becomes part of the lineage of Christ. Um, and and that's, so that's one thing about Rahab is cool. And here's another thing I think is neat. And this is what I kind of apply to my own life. Rahab, when she, when she believes God and trusts him for her salvation, she doesn't know that much about God. She only knows a few things. She knows that God helped them uh, leave Egypt. God's helped them defeat some kings. She didn't know that much about God. And we don't need to know a lot about God either. Whenever I accepted Christ and asked him into my heart, I knew very little about God. I, didn't, I barely knew that there was an Old Testament and New Testament. I didn't know all the seven mysteries. I didn't know all the seven baptisms and all the cool stuff that you learn later. She acted on the information that she had. She knew that judgment was coming, that she needed to trust God and ask for salvation, so she did. And that's all I did when I got saved. So I, you know, sometimes I've talked to people that, well, I just can't get saved. I don't know enough about God. I can't get saved quite yet, or, or something along that line. Or I don't go to church. You know, I can't do this. I can't do that. I can't get saved. Rahab is an example of not needing to know much about the Lord in order to get saved. And she also teaches us that when you do get saved, your past isn't really important. Your past is your past. Old things are passed away. She became a new person. Uh, it's, it's what Rahab chose on this day that changed her, her destiny. So it doesn't matter what kind of past you've had or, or I've had. Once we accept Christ, we're a, we're a new creature. Um, and, you know, we, we often hear people talk about be a man. You need to be a man. Well, really, in this case, you need to be a woman. You need to be a woman like Rahab. You need to trust the safety and salvation that God is providing us. You know, the, right now in, in the dispensation we live in, in, instead of this situation with the scarlet thread, we're, we're given Christ, you know, believe on Christ and what he did for us. That is our token of salvation. That's, that's how we get saved. So don't be a man. Be a woman like Rahab. Trust in the safety and salvation that God provides. Uh, be a woman like Rahab. Don't allow your past to keep you from making a future. Be a woman like Rahab. She left a legacy of faith. I mean, she, she became, uh, you know, David's great-grandma. Her progeny and her, 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 her generations after her were faithful and obedient because she was. She was also concerned for the salvation of her family, uh, which women are usually the more spiritually sensitive in a house. So we can all be a woman like Rahab if we just trust God's message and trust him enough to, to walk through the doors that he opens for us. Um, you know, Steve, Pastor Steve always has a saying that God loves us enough to save us, and he loves us, but he loves us too much to let us remain in our sinful condition. And that's kind of what happened with Rahab. Um, another good quote I've heard is, Our past is never good enough to earn God's salvation. 
nor is it shocking enough to keep God from saving us. So, uh, a couple things from her. I think I had another verse. Yeah, Rahab actually shows up in uh, in the Hebrews Hall of Faith, uh, Hebrews eleven thirty one. Yeah, I wondered if she was in that. Yeah, she's actually in the Hall of Faith. That by faith the harlot Rahab perished okay. not with them that believed not. So here's the sinner when she sees uh, when she hears the, yeah. the the judgment of God is coming. She makes the decision to uh, accept him. All right, so that was Rahab. She's an example of lesson one. So don't let your past prevent you from God's salvation. All right, next person. The Widow of Zarephath. This is a cool one. Uh, this one is actually really rich with with neat stuff, but I only had time to bring out uh, one thing. The Widow of Zarephath is a good example of giving. Lesson number 10 in our D1 course is on giving. Um, so let's flip over to 1 Kings and, and see her story here. Yeah, there's a lot of things I could bring out on Zarephath. Uh, Zarephath. Yeah, the name Zarephath. You know, I hear my assistant mumbling Zarephath. Are you talking about Zarephath? <laughs> yeah. Yeah, the name Zarephath. I, I should mention that. All right, the name. Let me get back on me here. So I've been. Fl I flip back and forth between the. Uh, there it is. All right. Um, <laughs> the name Zarephath is. Uh, it means. Um, I had it on here. It's, it's a furnace. It's a smelting place. I don't know where my definition went, but Zarephath is um, would mean a place where metal is, um, what you call it when they dross it down, like a furnace. Smelt. smelt. Yes, the smelting place. Yeah, Ray, uh, Ray helped me out there. All right. There's a lot. There's a lot, there's some things here too. So Zarephath is actually. It was in. Phoenicia, no, no. Zarephath was north of Jerusalem. All right, let me. I got. I got to collect my thoughts here. First Kings is about Elijah. All right, let me, let me set it up more. The book of First Kings is after King David. It's after Solomon. We're into the time of the kings when the. When, when Israel had a civil war and they split for a while and there's the north kingdom and the south kingdom and uh, the kingdoms had prophets that would go to them and, and preach God's judgment and give them God's word uh, First Kings kind of concentrates on Elijah with a J Elijah so Elijah has actually uh brought a famine or there's a drought going on in Israel at this time and in, in 1 Kings 17 which is where I wanted to go in 1 Kings 17 yes that's it in 1 Kings 17 God tells him to to get up and go to Zarephath the place of smelting the place of uh, trials and tribulations and um, let me flip back over to my screen here. And what we're going to see here with this widow is an example of, of a giving believer. Um, and, it, and it maps 
to the lesson on giving, which uh, the, 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 key, the key lesson out of the giving, uh, the D1 giving lesson would be control and stewardship of everything God has given you. Giving is not just about money, and that's what we're going to see here with the widow. It's a, it's a lot of things. Uh, and that's kind of what the lesson on giving teaches us, is it's not just about money. It's about your time, your resources, your passions, your stuff. And uh, so we get some good New Testament principles out of this widow. So let's pick the story up in 1 Kings 17. Elisha's been running around uh, Israel doing cool things. And uh, in 1 Kings 17, 8, the Lord calls him to go to Zarephath. And the word of the Lord came unto him, saying, Arise, get thee to Zarephath, which belongeth to Zidon, and dwell there. You know, go there. Behold, I have commanded a widow woman there to sustain thee. So he arose and went to Zarephath, and when he came to the gate of the city, behold, the widow woman was there gathering of sticks. And he called to her, and he said, Fetch me, I pray thee, a little water in a vessel, that I may drink. In verse 11, As she was going to fetch it, he called to her, and he said, Bring me, I pray thee, a morsel of bread in thy hand. So he's wanting some bread and water. Verse 12, And she said, As the Lord thy God liveth, I have not a cake, but I have a handful of meal in a barrel, and a little oil in a cruise. And behold, I am gathering two sticks, that I may go in and dress it for me and my son, that we may eat it and die. She's kind of collecting stuff for her last meal. There's a famine going along, uh, going on in Israel. So there's this widow lady out collecting just a few things, some sticks, so she can make a last meal for her and her son, and then they can just starve to death. So she's in, a, she's in a bad way. Verse 13. And Elijah said unto her, Fear not, go and do as thou hast said, but make me therefore a little cake first, and bring it unto me, and then after you can make it for you and your son. And then verse 14. For thus saith the Lord God of Israel, The barrel of meal shall not waste, meaning it's it's not going to go empty. Neither shall the cruise of oil fail. You're going to have plenty of, of, of oil too. Until the day that the Lord sends rain upon the earth. So he's basically telling her, Give, go make me something to eat first. Give me something to drink first. And then your supplies will never run out and you're going to have food and, and water and oil until the water starts again. Because uh, Elijah's during the middle of a drought. Well, verse 15, And she went and she did according to the saying of Elijah, and she and he and her house, they did eat many days. They actually ate for about three years. And the barrel of meal wasted not, neither did the cruise of oil fail, according to the word of the Lord, which he spakes by Elijah. So that's a cool story. So what we have here is a, a, a lady that is asked to give her last meal to the Lord and that the Lord would bless her in, in return. So think about that. If, if, you know, if a stranger came up to you, like let's say a few weeks ago, a stranger comes to your house and wants all your 
something that you have that you know you need. Toilet paper. paper Stacy threw out. <laughs> That's a good example. <laughs> you know, it's hard to give up the last thing that you have. I'd like, you know, I've, me and Sherry have been in situations where we're tithing when do we pay a bill or do we tithe? You know, and I've heard Pastor Steve also talk about these types of principles. And, and whenever you do, you tithe, whenever you give, like we're supposed to give, God will bless that. And that's exactly what happens to this lady. So this stranger comes up and, and asks him for the drink of water, uh, and she does it. Uh, and, what, and, and this talks about how unselfish giver she was, uh, and the, the way we should be. And that's really what the lesson on giving talks about. Um, she knew he was a man of God, and she believed, you know, she knew this was real. So when he asked her to give up that last meal, she's really stepping out in faith, and that's what God wants us to do, stepping out in faith. Uh, something I used to talk about with Kim Riggs a lot, whenever me and I used to give Kim a lot of rides, and we would always talk about how you can't outgive God. Whenever you give to the Lord, uh, he always returns it in a blessing some way, and uh, Kim would always say that. We'd always talk about that together. And, Kind of reminds me of this verse here, and I, this was this has been one of my favorite verses for years. When I think about helping people out, it's it's kind of like Proverbs three twenty seven. It got kind of another one that I like, but Proverbs nineteen seventeen, and I believe this is also the theme verse to the City Union Mission. I'm not positive, but I know I've seen it on some of their literature. Proverbs nineteen seventeen says, "He that hath pity on the poor." lends unto the Lord. So when you're having pity on the poor and you're helping them out, you're really giving it to the Lord. And he that which and that and that which he hath given will he repay. So when you help people when you help poor folks out, you're really giving it to God and he's going to pay it back. And I can uh, give you a testimony that that has definitely happened to me in my life. Uh, anytime we decided to help people or to tithe or anything that we're supposed to do, God always he always pays me back somehow. Um, which kind of goes along with another good verse on, on I actually pulled this one out of the lesson that every man according as he hath purposed in his heart, so let him give, not grudgingly so, in order of necessity for God loves a cheerful giver we've heard that many times, so it's, it's, it's good to give, but you need to be cheerful about it, not grudging alright, so let me get back to the next slide. So let's think about her. Let's think about like when I was talking about me tithing or pay a bill. What had happened if she would have not made... What if she had said, No, Elijah, I, I'm really hungry and I don't have enough food. I'm just going to go ahead and, and make my meal like I'm planned and me and my son are going to eat it. She would have missed the blessing. You know, she. I mean, Elijah wouldn't have... Uh, uh, gave her the promise that this is never going to run out. She would have missed out on the blessing. So that's another kind of principle here: is when you give, you're going to uh, you're not giving necessarily because God needs it, but because He's wanting to bless you and to teach you something. So, um, actually, I heard a story. It's uh, the giving is like planting seeds. You know, if you had some corn or some beans or something, you could eat them all, and you can get, you know, the immediate gratification, or you could plant some of them, plant some of your corn and beans, and then you'll get a, a your investing 
in a harvest that in time you will you will harvest the the reward and that's kind of the way giving is it's a step of faith that you're investing in eternal things and that the God is going to uh, give you the increase uh, and it's not just money and that's something that lesson 10 on giving points out um, and I've got it under bullet point two there that when God wants us to give or he asks us to give it's not just money it's your time you know do you give God the proper time in your life that you should um, or your passions you know are you are you passionate for the lost or are you more passionate about you know some recent series on Netflix or something you know like we only have our, our emotions and our passions should be properly focused on things that God wants us to be focused on. What about westerns? Okay. <laughs> Sherry's throwing out westerns here. Yes. We've been on a western binge this last few weeks. <laughs> I have seen a few westerns. Uh, I will not lie, but uh, I yeah. keep it in check. Uh, yeah. All right. So, so okay. Yeah. So, God doesn't want just, just to have our, our money. He wants time, money, passions, our goods. Anything we have, let me flip it back over to me. Anything we have, um, God wants to wants to give to Him, so He can bless us. Now, I had a question on the slide. Let me flip back over here. Who do you think benefits from your giving? So think about that. And this is this is one of the key things. Another thing that the the lesson ten on giving teaches us. Yeah, if there's anyone, are there any comments coming in? Like, put, put in the comments, who do you think is really blessed? Do you think God needs your money and time and resources? Do you think the church does? Well, they kind of do, but ultimately, and here's the slide, it's you. We are the ones that are benefits uh, from giving. So just like the widow of Zarephath, she gave her all to the man of God, and she gave her last meal to him, and she really doesn't, she didn't do it grudgingly. Uh, and she actually received the blessing of it. And she actually receives a really big blessing. If, if you read on uh, in the chapter, let me see here. Wasn't Elijah the same way with Elijah in the chapter? Because he had to believe that God's purpose for him to go do, to find the widow itself. Yep, yep, yep. Yep, Ray's uh, chiming in. I'd like to move the camera over. <laughs> I know, I like Yeah. Um, so much better happen. All right, here's the cool thing with her. She didn't... Let me see what my next slide is. I'll shoot my woman. She didn't want anything in return whenever she did this. Actually, let's let's go to the story. Um, let me flip back over. I lost my place in First Kings 17. Let's go back to First Kings 17 real quick. I want to see... I want to show you this. Um, oh, no. I, you know, I just don't have time. Let me move on. We'll have to catch that later. I'm sorry. Um, the Shunammite woman is the next person that we're going to talk about. Number four. She's an example of other Christians and how we should treat other Christians. Let's pick this story up in 2 Kings 4. All right, 2 Kings 4. Here's what's going on. Elijah has left the scene, and now his disciple Elisha, S-H-A, is now 
the prophet in Israel. Alright, let me flip over here. I'm lost. We got some activity going on in the room here. Alright, so Elisha is on the uh, Elisha is on the scene now. I'm sorry. There's there's a lot of distractions going on in here. Um Elisha is now the prophet in Israel, and there's a story in, in uh Second Kings four about his encounter with the Shunammite woman. So she's another little known disciple that people may or may not have heard from. And the things that go on with this story are an example of lesson number nine, other Christians. Uh, and then it's also kind of a lesson, uh, it also touches on 10, giving. But a key point of the lesson number nine is fellowship and, and how our fellowship with other believers should be and how we uh, enjoy and, and participate in biblical fellowship with other believers. That's what this lesson's about, uh, lesson number nine, other Christians. Um, it, it, the lesson really kind of highlights that, that good biblical fellowship isn't just being Facebook friends with somebody or just eating dinner with somebody, but fellowshipping with other Christians is really about investing your life into other people uh, through ministry, through sharing common faith, you know, we're in the journey class here. We kind of share each other's lives, so we we fellowship, we we share common suffering, uh, we love each other, and we're hospitable to each other. And that, that's the advantage of being a member of an adult Bible fellowship at HBF is that the church, you know, there's hundreds of people in the church service. You can't have intimate biblical fellowship with a large group of people like that. So we have the adult Bible fellowships where we have these smaller groups, like the journey class, where we can share each other's lives. We know each other very well. We, we have common faith. We, we know when each other are suffering, and we can show love and hospitality to each other um, whenever, whenever needed. So, And that's what we learn in this story of the Shunammite woman. So let's pick her up, uh, 2 Kings chapter 4. Down around verse 8. Alright. 2 Kings 4, 8. And it fell on a day that Elisha passed to Shunem, where was a great woman, and she constrained him to eat bread. And so it was that as oft as he passed by, he turned in thither to eat bread. And she said unto her husband, Behold now, I perceive that this is a holy man of God which passes by us continually. Let us make a little chamber, I pray thee, on the wall, and let us set for him there a bed and a table, a stool and a candlestick, and it shall be that when he comes into us that he shall turn in thither. So basically what she's saying, let me flip over to me here, she's saying, she's a Shunammite woman, she's actually a Jew, uh, she's uh, in the north part of, of Israel. Elisha, this man of God, comes by our house all the time. Him and his servant, Gezi. They're always coming by our house. He's a good man of God. So let's, let's, let's add on a room to our house. And let's put in it a bed, a, a table, a stool, and a candle to help this guy out. So she recognizes his need. And she's hospitable. And she... They do these things. And I think it's cool how in verse 8 it says she constrained him to eat bread. 
you know, that's a strong word. She powerfully compelled him to stop and eat with her. So she is, uh, you know, we all have a relative that when you go to their house, you've got to try the food that they have or you've got to do this. I mean, she can, she's compelling. You need to stop here and, uh, and, and eat. So she's being very hospitable. Now, so, and so she does it. So let me flip back over here. So it fell on the day that he came thither, and he came into this chamber, and he stayed. So they, she builds it, and they stay there. And he said to Gezi, his servant, Call this Shunammite. And when he had called her, she stood before him. So she went, and they went and got the lady. And they said unto her, Elisha's basically asking her, What can we do for you? You've done these things for us. And the lady says, You know, I'm content. You don't need to do anything for me. Which is another principle of, of fellowshipping with Christians. We don't do things for other people to get things back. You know, when you help people, you're helping people out of love and hospitality, not that you want something in return. And that, that's what we see here with her. Well, what is cool, though, is if you read down in, chat, in verse... Uh, let me see where it's about... Uh, okay, yeah, verse 14. This is cool. This is a good, a good principle. And, and Elisha said to her, What then is there to be done for her? Well, Gehazi, which is the type of the Holy Spirit, which is his servant, is answered and said, Verily, she hath no child, and her husband is old. So they're thinking, okay, she doesn't have any kids. So look what Elisha does for her. Verse 16. And he said, About this season, according to the time, thou shalt embrace his son. So he's saying, okay, lady, I know you don't want anything from us. You're happy. We we know, we see the hidden dream, the hidden desire of your heart that you don't have a son. So by the time we come back, when, when we come back here next year at the same time, you're going to have a son. Uh, so that's that's a neat little principle there, that God sees our hidden dreams and hidden desires. And... Um, when we're giving and hospitable and, and and serving him the way we should, he will give us the desires of our heart. And that's why I put this verse up here. This is a this is an application of this principle here in Psalms thirty seven four. It delighted her to make this add on room for Elisha. It delights her to serve other people and to and to be hospitable. And she's, so she's delighting in the things of the Lord, and he gave her the desires of her heart, the hidden desires that she didn't confess. I mean, they, the Holy Spirit drew those things out. So that's kind of a neat, uh, a neat thing there. All right, so she took time to be hospitable. Uh, she actually builds that, that room on her wall. Now, what she puts in it, the, uh, the bed, the table, the stool, and the candle... Those are very significant things that every believer needs to have in their life, but I don't have time to go through any of that now. I gotta, I gotta move on. Um, let see. I'm looking at my notes here. She was happy. She dwelt among her people. All right. So, yeah, she's a type of the lesson number nine. Other Christians. And one of the important things that lesson number nine brings out is that you can't have true biblical fellowship with other people like this lady had until you have true fellowship with Christ so you need to be a you know if you're if you're struggling with other people 
um, you need to have your relationship with Christ solid first, and that'll help you help others. All right, and that's where I kind of come into this. I've mentioned this verse many times. It's one of my favorites. I have to put this in my life all the time. Psalms 119, 165. Great peace have they which love thy law. Nothing shall offend them. You know, I can get offended every day. You can get offended every day. People offend us every day in some way, seems like. Um, but if you love God and you love his law and you, and you, are, and you love others, you know, we're, we're to love God and love people. If you really love God and love his laws, nothing shall offend you. And I just think that is a cool, cool principle I've always, always loved. So, the next guy we're going to talk about, that was, that was on other Christians, is Benaiah. I don't know if you know anything about Benaiah. He's, uh, he's another one of my favorites here. This guy, he represents dealing with sin. Okay, Benaiah, he was... Uh, here, Sherry, can you shut the door? Mm-hmm. Let me flip back on me. We've had a lot of activity in here this morning. <laughs> Benaiah was one of the mighty men of valor under King David. King David uh, had actually, speaking of Westerns, I don't know if you've seen The Magnificent Seven. <laughs> very good Western with Yul Brenner and Charles Bronson. Uh, Sherry made me watch it the other day. Uh, the Magnificent Seven was, was good. Now, King David had his Magnificent 37. He had about 37 guys that were close to him. That was kind of his inner circle, his secret service that as they went around Israel defeating uh, enemies, these 37 guys were his mighty men of valor. And there's just all kinds of stories about that that are really cool. Well, out of the 37, three of them were really special and did some special things. But even above that, he had a guy named Benaiah. And this guy, is if you don't know much about Benaiah, he's a guy worth getting to know. He would be like uh, Jason Statham. He was the cleaner. He could get things done. When things really needed to be done, David would call him Benaiah. Um, and as a matter of fact, after David passed, Solomon also used Benaiah. So he's quite a player in King David and Solomon's reign as the guy that they would send to clean things up. Now, Benaiah, he represents for us the lesson number 12, dealing with sin. Because that guy physically would go out and conquer his enemies and they were the same enemies that we have. So the methods that Benaiah used to, to defeat the physical enemies are the same things we use to defeat our spiritual to defeat our spiritual enemies. So let, let's look at him real quick. I don't have a whole lot of time. I'm going to flip over to uh, 2 Samuel 38. Uh, 2 Samuel. It's back here. 2 Samuel 38. Or twenty, yeah. I'm sorry. Second Samuel twenty-three. I should have put it on a slide, but I didn't. I don't, I don't have a whole lot of time here. I'm gonna get you guys out on time. All right. All right. So Second Samuel chapter twenty-three, down around verse eight. These be the names of the mighty men whom David had, and it goes on and lists these thirty-seven guys. Uh, one of the highlights is, is verse nine, a guy named Dodo. Um, He's a guy that you've probably heard of that was fighting the Philistines and he had the sword in his hand and he fought for so long and hard that when the battle was over, 
he couldn't even let go of the sword. So Dodo is a very cool guy to get to know, but we don't have time for him. But uh, this chapter lists all 37 of these guys. Now, Benaiah shows up in verse 20. So 2 Samuel 23, 20. And it says, And Benaiah, the son of Jehoiada, the son of a valid man of Cosbel, Benaiah had done many acts. He slew two lion-like men of Moab. One thing he did. He went down also and he slew a lion. And uh, and he went down in he went down to the lion. And in the midst of a pit, he did that in the snow. In verse twenty-one, and he slew an Egyptian, a godly man, uh, a goodly man. And the Egyptian had a spear in his hand, but he went down to him with a, with a staff, and he plucked the spear out of the Egyptian's hand, and he slew him with his own spear. So, Benaiah, his name, uh, his, his name means built by God, so that's a cool name. His dad's name, Jehoiada, means uh, God knows, and it always lists those two together. So here we have a guy that God has built up, that God knows, and that he has slew these three things. Um, so we can, all right. You know, it's actually an interesting side note here. Benaiah is a cool name, and I used to work with a, a guy from Lagos, Nigeria, a uh, very good friend of mine, and he had a, he was a Muslim, met the Lord, got saved, and his first son he named Benaiah because this guy, uh, yeah, Z-Man, this guy, Benaiah, is such a good uh, example of the way we, we are overcomers. So, uh, I'm going to quickly move on here. So what he did, what Benaiah did, this guy that God built up, that God knows, he used his sword and he defeats two lion-like men of Moab. And that's what I put here. He defeats the same enemies we face. He defeats the, the world, the flesh, and the devil. Let me flip my slide back over and you'll see him because I listed them out. The world. It says... Uh, he slew the Egyptian. The Egyptian is always a type, Egypt is always a type of the world. So Benaiah defeats the Egyptian with his own, own spear. How does he do it? He does it with the word, with a sword. So that's how we defeat the world. The flesh. In verse 20, it says, Two lion-like men of Moab. Now, if you know anything about Moab, they were the uh, incestuous kids of Lot. They represent the flesh. So Moab is represents the flesh. So Benaiah defeats Moab, guys. So now he's killed the world. He's killed the flesh. And then he killed that lion in the snow. He slew a lion. Well, we know what a lion is. You know, 1 Peter 5 eight. the devil's a roaring lion, seeking who he may devour. So here's this guy, and in one, in one verse, defeats the world, the flesh, and the devil. So that's pretty cool. Um, now... How do you, how, okay, so I just put at the bottom, do you feel equipped to build up, to over, do you feel equipped to overcome your sin? Um, yeah, I need to hurry up here, I'm really running late. So, Benaiah, by his name and his title and, his, and the office he did, he represents for us the lesson, D1 lesson number 12, dealing with sin. I got a cook here. The Nethanims, this is my favorite in this story, in this, in this little series here. Uh, I'm just going to tell you what they were real quick because I don't have time to go through it. But the Nethanims, I first ran across these guys many years ago. 
I don't know if you've ever heard of the nethanums. They're definitely something that you should uh, you should study a little more than what I can go into here. The nethanums were people that served in the court in the in the uh, house of God. They served along with the porters and the singers and the and the gatekeepers and the doormen and all that. They served in the house of God in Israel. What they were, they were the conquered servants of, of past battles that King David and Solomon and all these guys would recruit to say, hey, we conquered you, so now you can serve in the house of God. But what is cool is when they had the opportunity and, and the choice to leave, they decide to stay with God's people in Ezra and Nehemiah, and they continue serving in the house of the Lord, helping the Levites, helping the priests, uh, helping people worship. And you said they quietly served. Yeah, and they did it quietly. That's why a lot of people don't even know about these guys. So to me, these guys are an example of, of lesson number 16, the judgment seat of Christ. It's really about motives. Why do we do what we do for the Lord? You know, these guys uh, were doing all this service to the Lord willingly, helping the, Le- the Levites and the priests willingly, and they weren't doing it for rewards or applause or anything else. And it reminds me of like, you know, Pastor Brian, Pastor Steve, all the pastors here at HBF. They ha- there's a team of people, there's a team of nethanims working behind the scenes, making sure that these guys have what they need to help minister to others. And, and so I pray that we're all nethanims, you know, that, that someday we will receive our judge, or our uh, rewards. We'll receive our crowns and our applause from the Lord, and that's where we should be getting it, not from people. So uh, I just think they're a really cool example of that, uh, the judgment seat of Christ. All right, so the last one, the Ninevites. Um, this is uh, an example of the lesson number 15, the lost world. Dealing with the Ninevites uh, has a lot of the principles that this lesson teaches. Um, is that that God's love, God is always seeking seeking out the lost. Uh, there's no one out of His reach. Uh, it really illustrates the power of God's word to accomplish His purpose. Jonah, you know, that's the reference there. Jonah three five through nine. Jonah is sent to Nineveh, and Jonah preaches an eight word message to these guys uh, basically telling them to repent because judgment's coming and they immediately change let me flip back over to me you here the right message for the right sinners yeah they, it's, it's, God gave Jonah the exact right message those eight words that he, he laid on these guys and they all repented um, the full repentance by the city which you know Joshua or Jonah didn't really care for but it was the, the right message for the right messenger to the right people. Uh, and then I put, uh, let me flip back over the slide here. Is our love for God evident by our actions? You know, do we seek out the lost world like we should? Uh, I don't have time to go through a lot of my notes on that. But, um, All right, yeah, I, I did have one note I was going to mention is if, if our lifestyle, this is what the lesson, the lost world brings out, the lesson number 15, that our lifestyle and our speech and our communication, everything about our being uh, should, should, should be about reaching the lost people. And, and that reminds me of, of this in First uh, Peter one fifteen. 
as, as, as he which hath called you is holy, so be ye holy in all manner of conversation. So not just what you say, it's what you type on Facebook, it's, what, it's how you are at work, it's, uh, it's even how you drive. I mean, it's really everything about us should be uh, exalting to the Lord with the purpose of being a good example to reach the lost world. So. It is our love of God and how yep. we react. Yep, love of God, how we react. Uh, my assistant says there's some, some good comments coming in. So anyway, that's that's the example. The Ninevites are a good example to me on how how uh, we should uh, look at the lost world. That they were sinners. At first look, you would think they're not worthy of God sending Jonah to them, but He did. Mm-hmm. All right. So that's that's our list. I'm gonna man. I'm way over. I apologize, folks. But there's the seven um, people that I just kind of briefly went through. Um, those are the seven lessons in D1 that map up to them. And what's interesting is you could take all 16 of our lessons and you could find multiple people in the Old Testament that represent uh, those, those principles. Uh, those, you, know, you could actually see these things lived out in the lives of our Old Testament people. And I think that I just love the Old Testament. It's uh, just a very alive book to me. All right, and that's really it for me. Um, Assistant Sherry, do we have any new prayer requests or anything? Uh, we don't. Um, you know, just remember the filets because she's having tests done. All right, so let's close out in prayer here real quick. Uh, I'm going to cover all of these since we did in class. I don't see any new ones come in, so all right, let's pray. Lord, I thank you for the time to teach this morning, and I, I pray, Lord, I feel like I didn't give it justice. I, I just kind of ran out of time. I'm blabbing too much, and... I just want to lift you up and just thank you for the chance again to teach your word and uh, these awesome things in it. And I pray for all of our class, Lord. And I know Pastor Steve uh, prays for all these folks regularly. And, and, uh, uh, and hopefully we all pray for each other, Lord, for for the parrots, uh, the longstanding requests, and, and Tom, Kevin, Rich, all the guys, and Pam and her daughter and Dottie. And, and really lift up the Vallejos, Lord, in this time of suffering that you comfort them. and. I just can't wait to be all back together, Lord. Hopefully another couple of weeks we'll all be here in the library and uh, worship you. And uh, thank you for the day and pr- pray ahead of time for Brian's message, Lord, that it speaks to us, Lord. And thank you for these things. In Jesus' name, amen. All right, that's it, people. I'm sorry I ran so late. Uh, I had some really cool principles. They were awesome. But I just didn't have time to get through them. So. All right, we'll see you later. Hopefully uh, next couple of weeks.